quote, the only things that could justify the valuation are supernatural growth and best-in-class execution. So on that day, I think the share price was around 240 somewhere around there. By the end of the week, it was not at 240 The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 32 of the Tesla Q podcast. This episode is mostly going to focus on the National Transportation and Safety Board's preliminary report about the March 1st crash of a Tesla in Delray Beach, Florida, and Elon Musk's email from Thursday, May the 16th, about the hardcore cost-cutting measures that Tesla's going to be taking. As always, I'd like to remind you, if you want to be a contributor to the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast and become a monthly contributor. And if you want some shorty merchandise, you can go to evacuationboy.com and get a nice coffee mug or t-shirt or poster. So don't forget to do that. The last episode was episode number 31, where I speculated about the possible Solar City sunset. There was not really any big news on that front this past week, but there was, there was a little bit of news about the Buffalo Gigafactory 2 and such but as i speculated there if if there is a sunsetting of solar city they're not going to shout it from the rooftops or anything so don't expect to hear anything like that uh last week was pretty quiet for the beginning of the week i'm recording this on sunday may 19th 2019 so there wasn't really much of anything that went on last sunday or monday on tuesday may 14th i came across a little clip from John Oliver's Last Week Tonight, or whatever the show's called, on HBO, and he was talking about climate change and the Green New Deal, and he mentioned that that uh, all we've got right now is Elon Musk, and he's got a bit too high of a, a pedophile-to-car ratio to actually make much impact for climate change. So that, that got a chuckle out of me and probably some other people. Another funny thing that I saw on Twitter that day was a tweet from Machine Planet, that's Paul and then some numbers. He's the Shorty Air Force Grand General or something. He doesn't have an official title, of course, but he's the primary member of the Shorty Air Force. But he had a tweet where he referred to Elon Musk as a, quote, hardcore professional investment capital arsonist. So I was I was quite a fan of that terminology. And his use of the, the word hardcore was a little bit ironic with uh, the now infamous usage later in the week that occurred. And I'll talk about that more later on in the episode. On Wednesday, May 15th, there was a clip on Twitter that I came across that was an aerial video of a, a semi-truck doing an autonomous driving test. And they had actually cleared the highway before they did the test, which makes a lot of sense when you're dealing with a technology that's not ready to be deployed fully. Uh, and that, that was a Starsky Robotics truck. My understanding is that Starsky Robotics... Part of their part of what they're going for is to have autonomy on highways and easy use cases and for like parking lots and such to be able to remotely operate the semi trucks. So their business plan is to have drivers that work from a centralized location and do those harder 
edge cases or as Elon Musk calls them, corner cases. I'd, I'd heard about that company a little more than a year or so ago, but I was glad to see that they were responsibly testing their technology as opposed to the way one certain company does things. Also, by Wednesday of last week, May the 15th, it started to be it started to seem clear that Elon Musk was no longer in control of the Tesla Twitter account due to the much decreased tweeting from the week prior. That's speculation on my part and other people's part, but that seemed to be the case. That was also the day of the deadline for the Maxwell acquisition closing. I think there was a filing on Thursday the 16th, but I haven't actually looked at that filing yet. There was a little bit of tweeting on that day from Dan Telvok out of Buffalo about the Gigafactory 2 and the, the number of jobs that Tesla has there so far and how. And, and based on the reports that he's gotten from people that apparently actually work there, Tesla has not yet reached their minimum jobs to, to meet what they promised the state of New York. Also on Wednesday, there was a new Evercore note. And in that note, they dropped their price target from $240 a share to $200 per share. My personal favorite part of the note was where they said that, quote, the only things that could justify the valuation are supernatural growth and best-in-class execution, unquote. So it didn't say or, it said and. So they need both supernatural growth and best-in-class execution to come close to justifying the share price of Tesla. So on that day, I think the share price was around 240 somewhere around there. By the end of the week, it was not at 240 which I'll get to later. Also on Wednesday, there was a tweet from a Tesla Solar customer. Her Twitter name has photography in it somehow. I, I forget exactly what her Twitter name is, but she mentioned that apparently Tesla Legal had reached out and offered to pay $7,000 to release them from damages if she would be quiet. So I don't think she's going to be quiet. I think she's going to end up getting quite a bit more than $7,000. It's kind of a kind of a shady way to do business from Tesla Legal, but it doesn't surprise me based on some of their other actions that, that we've heard about. There was supposed to be a Starlink uh, SpaceX launch on Wednesday or Thursday of last week. It ultimately got scrapped and didn't occur. I think it got pushed out to this upcoming week. So we'll see how that goes. There was a report on Wednesday that the production from the Buffalo Gigafactory 2 is mostly exported. I don't know how much that was an actual report versus maybe a way to to obfuscate what they're actually doing and how little they're actually producing there. Uh, we'll find out more about that in the future, I'm sure. There was news on Wednesday of an over-the-air battery update, which was the result resulting action following multiple battery fires in Asia, one in Shanghai, and then I think a more recent one in Hong Kong. So Tesla charts, of course, pointed out that that indicated that the batteries prior to the update were defective. Whether they're still defective after the update is an open question. I put out a challenge to Tesla Bulls on Twitter to come up with a better term than defective. So we'll see if they can massage that away in any manner. Also on Wednesday, May the 15th, Dave Arnold, who I, th I think his title was Senior Director of Communications, left Tesla. I don't know if he was fired or if he left on his own accord or, or what, but he had played a pretty big role in the doxing of Montana Skeptic. He also was involved in Christina Ballon's case, and he was heavily involved in the Martin Tripp incident, uh, I think including maybe being part of the Be on the Lookout poster and 
Christina actually only found out that it was Dave who had defamed her one week prior to him leaving this job with Tesla. So whether that timing of when she found out that he was involved with that has anything to do with the timing of him leaving Tesla or not, I have no idea, but it might be worth pondering. Also on Wednesday, there was an MIT Technology Review article that came out, and the title of it was Tesla's Trumpeted Solar Shingles Are a Flop, where they talked about the fact that those solar shingles are not a mainstream product yet and are installed in very, very few actual locations. Moving on to Thursday, May 16th, there was a uh, there was a report of somebody purchasing a new Tesla, and they checked it on Carfax, and it had an accident report on Carfax, but it was sold as a new Tesla that might have gotten some more attention, except that also on that same day, the big news came out about the National Transportation and Safety Board's preliminary report about the March 1st crash near Delray Beach, Florida, and that, of course, overtook any further discussion of the the uh, brand new Tesla that had a prior accident on its Carfax report. So immediately after I heard about this preliminary report coming out, I saw a few tweets about it, and then I decided that I would throw out some initial thoughts before I actually read the report. So in those tweets, I, I mentioned that for them to have released a report so relatively quickly after the accident, they must have had pretty high confidence in their findings. I also said that it was uh, possibly quicker than it otherwise would have been to help provide some public confidence that there is not regulatory capture at play with their governing of autopilot as a function. And I also suggested that possibly some of the reports to the Office of Inspector General had helped accelerate things. And some of those reports, of course, came from people who are part of Tesla Q on Twitter as prompted <coughs> Excuse me, by... Bloodsport Capital. I also pointed out that there were no immediate share price impacts to Tesla immediately after the report was released. So then I finally read the report. It was only two pages, so it was a nice quick read. And I suggested that maybe Tesla's recent robo-taxi strategy shift might have been another factor in how quickly it was released. There were a few people who argued that that, that it didn't seem quick to them. My, my take on it being relatively quick is based on the fact that when they first, when the reports first came out that they were going to be investigating, I think there was about a two-year time frame that was put out there for when they would have a final determination. So two months is a lot quicker than two years. So relatively speaking, for them to put out a preliminary report now seems to me to be a little bit quick. Uh, I, I got chided a little bit by Bloodsport Capital for not putting quotation marks around autopilot since that is only a marketing term. There was a, a little blurb at the bottom of the NTSB report that described that autopilot is a, a marketing term from Tesla and should not be misconstrued to think that you can just take your hands off the wheel and that it will drive you to safety. Some of the substance of that report, I, I shouldn't skip talking about this, uh, the main findings were that the vehicle was traveling 68 miles per hour at the time of impact. The driver engaged autopilot 10 seconds before the impact and apparently did not uh, apply any pressure to the wheel in the final eight seconds before impact. And there was no, uh, no record of any evasive maneuvers taken by either the driver or by autopilot prior to the impact with the 
semi-trailer, and the vehicle traveled 1,600 feet past the trailer before it finally came to a stop. So autopilot was definitely engaged in this accident, per the preliminary report findings, and no evasive maneuvers were taken to avoid the tractor trailer. And the Model 3 ultimately became a convertible. There was a, a picture of the vehicle included in the, included in the report. That picture was used in news stories about the report that came out later in the day, Thursday and on Friday. So there wasn't an immediate share price impact, but on Friday, the share price impact did come home to roost. Uh, moving on from that story, uh, another thing from Twitter on Thursday is that apparently the recent SpaceX rounds were actually fully subscribed, and I'm taking that based on a tweet from Jim Chanos, who's understanding is that the those have been fully subscribed and as far as i know his understanding is is from a very good source so i'll leave it at that i don't know why i don't know why they put the the reports out there or the the filings out there that had such a a small percentage of the amount they sought as being subscribed but being a private company they can continue raising capital and they don't have to update those filings which is part of being a private company, I guess. I don't know why they would want to do that, but I guess that's the just the way that SpaceX operates. But they did not launch their Starlink satellite last week, so I guess we, we may find out more about that in the very near future. After the market closed on Thursday, Electric put out their report about the internal Tesla email, which is now infamous, where, it, where Elon Musk mentioned taking hardcore cost-cutting measures. And he also mentioned that at the quarter one cash burn rate, the recent capital raise would only give 10 months of runway. Oddly enough, uh, on the investor call, just a week or two before when Tesla was raising the capital, Elon suggested that it was only a buffer and that they didn't, didn't think that they would need to use that cash. But in his email to employees on May the 16th, that does not sound like it's the case. So he may have violated 10b5. I guess we'll find out. Also in the email, uh, Elon basically confirmed that 2.3 or 2.4 billion dollars was their net what they got out of the the raise. And that was after the options hedging that I talked about in episode 30. And I mentioned on Thursday night that I predicted that either Dana Hull or Laura Kolodny would likely publish the full text of the email and sure enough on Friday Laura did publish the full text in a CNBC article and late on Thursday night the official word that the SpaceX launch had been scrubbed came out and Mark Spiegel joked that they had forgotten to pay their liquid oxygen bill so ironically that official word came out after the email about the extreme cost-cutting measures that Tesla's going to be taking don't know if there's any direct correlation between the two my guess is that there probably isn't, but you never know with Elon Musk's empire. The big news on Friday, May 17th, is that Tesla's share price collapsed massively. There was a over 7% drop ultimately on the day. Also on Friday, there was a great thread from Phoenix 10, who I interviewed on a prior episode of the podcast, where he was discussing the likely capacity of the Gigafactory 3 being built in Shanghai. And his, his best guess is that it's unlikely that they'll be able to exceed 150,000 vehicles per year for the phase one. 
and that was based on the total size of the factory, which is 130 to 150,000 square meters, and based on the fact that they apparently are going to have stamping as part of the factory. And that is based on some photos that were posted on Twitter that showed the area that the stamping is going to occur. On Thursday, he had also made a tweet, which I missed on Thursday, but apparently... Tesla has asked their suppliers to model 1,000 vehicles per week of the Model S and Model X, which would be about 13,000 per quarter, which is about what they sold in quarter one. And of course, those are their higher margin vehicles. And in quarter one, Tesla had a cash flow burn of about $920 million. Consumer Reports put out an article on Friday about the NTSB report. I haven't actually looked at it yet, but I imagine it didn't have anything terribly new in it. But it's from Consumer Reports, so it has has a little bit more cachet than something coming from Joe Blow on Tesla Q. Though Tesla Q, of course, should not be underestimated, which I'll point out a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. Also on Friday, there were discussions on Twitter about whether the NTSB preliminary report or whether Elon's email had the bigger impact on the share price. Ultimately, it was probably the combination of both that had the biggest impact, but as I said, the share price dropped over 7% during the day on Friday. It closed at $211.03. And in the after hours trading, it looked to me like there was some attempted defense of the $210 price level. There was one anomalous trade like five minutes before 4 p.m. in the normal hours trading that was under 210 But in after hours, it looked like 210 was being defended. Ultimately, the closing price in after hours was $210.01. So one penny above exactly 50% of $420, which is the infamous price at which Elon said he was going to take Tesla private and had funding secured on August 7th, which if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't heard about that previously, then I don't know why you're listening to the podcast. But that was very ironic. I don't know if there's any deeper meaning behind that $210 level, but it was defended in the after hours on Friday and was ultimately the price at which it ended after hours trading. Friday evening, Antonio Gracias flew from Chicago to the Teterboro airport, which apparently is the home airport for Alvarez and Marsal. I don't know if that means anything at all or not. Um, there was some alluding to Gracias going to New York for a lunch by EV Defender on Twitter. So I don't know what that was about, but something something may come out this week that lent, shed some light on that. And after that, there were many esoteric discussions over the weekend about different Tesla-related things, but nothing, no real big Tesla news stories. And on Saturday night... May the 18th, there was what has turned into an excellent thread. It was a thread started by Bloodsport Capital, where he suggested that Tesla Q members mention just some of their credentials. And there have been many, many responses, and I, I suggest reading them. If you think that Tesla Q is just a bunch of Joe Blows on the, on the Twitter machine that don't have any knowledge or background, you're sadly mistaken. I am amongst the least experienced members of Tesla Q based on the responses to that thread. And you may choose to disbelieve some of the people's credentials or think that they live in their mother's basement and need hot pockets. 
but you would be sadly mistaken. So hopefully somebody will save those responses and just, I don't know, turn it into a blog post or something just to show the depth and breadth of the experience that Tesla Q houses. And if you haven't looked at that thread, I suggest you take a look at it. And we're going to wrap this episode up. So this has been episode number 32 of the Tesla Q podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye.